You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. And let's get into today's episode. Today we are in Ames, Oklahoma. Um, well, there's probably not much here, but the things that are here are pretty epic. And the things that I've seen in the first 10 minutes of walking in this building are, well, dreamy. I think this, for someone who loves cars, uh, this is a cool spot. But there's a few stories we're going to tell today. Uh, my guest, Brent Hayek's on the podcast of Hayek Motorsports. Uh, I mean, thanks for welcoming me into your lair, your museum, the home of Hayek Motorsports. You're lost, you're here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, the, we're not going to touch on every story that there's out there today because there is thousands. Um, but what I do want to touch on is kind of how you get to this point, right? How, how, you know, growing up, do you end up buying the old school and filling it full of old drag car and race cars and having the, you know, the success and the, the stories and the relationships that you have around the motorsport industry. So I guess before we start diving into the car stuff, I mean, growing up, what, did you grow up here? I, I grew up in Hennessy. Okay. About, yeah. About 20 minutes from here. Yeah. So growing we up. We farmed around here all our life. We, you know, we, we, we've always had farms here. Yeah. And knew a lot of the people here. And, uh, no, I went to school and grew up in Hennessy. My, my son went to school here. And yeah. So growing up, it was just hey, family has a farm, farming a ranch. Right, family. right. There was there was no. Uh, we worked on a lot of stuff. We had a lot of stuff broke down. You know, there's a lot of mechanics involved, but yeah. um, no, there there were no hot rods or anything like that. Right. So growing up, then you you're in you're in school in Hennessy. You're the, what what is the plan? What is the what is the childhood dream of Brent when you're growing up in Hennessy with the farming family and trying to figure out a way to make a living farming? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not work every hour of every no. day. <laughs> no, it's, Dad said you boys need to need to go get real jobs. Come back and farm when you can afford to. <laughs> that was yeah. a trick question. <laughs> right. So so growing up then in the farming industry, you know, there's so many. You know, the, the Oklahoma Beef Council response to the podcast. So I'm aware of just how hard it is even in the modern era you know with all the new tractors and technology it still doesn't get away from the ice storms and the cattle is getting up every hour that's all part of it yes yeah. sir so so growing up then what you know when you go to high school you go to, you you get out of high school and you decide you know dad tells you that kind of 
joke that's what do you think you want to do like well what's the plan at that time well i was i was hoping you know to to build a the farm you know but gosh at that time the interest rates were crazy and it was uh, a terrible time you know gosh we were paying like 18 percent interest and it was it was very tough to get into farming yeah and uh Dad was pretty wise, not encouraging us too much about it, and uh, I'd, I'd went on to Okmulgee Tech to, and took diesel mechanics, okay. and uh, kind of, kind of went that direction, and uh, got a job in the oil field and uh, taking care of oil wells, and uh, then I, I got in the tank truck business and been doing that for the last forty some years. Yeah, didn't want to be in, you know. Hammering at old oil field work, and I mean it's not no, easy. It's, so well, driving a tank truck, I still do it. I, I'm an oil and gas producer, so I, okay. I still take care of my own wells. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, just between booms and busts, you know, catch it on a bus cycle, and you get these old wells for darn near nothing, and and uh, hope you can keep them going and, until there's a little bit of a boom, and yeah. there's just just been enough of that to to help. Help to keep things going, right? And then history will, will repeat itself at some point, right? It so. always repeats itself. <laughs> good, bad, or ugly. There's a lesson in that holding yes, on to things good, for a long ugly. time. Um, so, so you you know you mentioned you go into Oak Movie Tech. You want to be a diesel mechanic. You know you you have a passion for for working on things. You're kind of very. Did you have a natural ability to work on things at that age as well? Well, I wasn't real. I didn't really like to walk. <laughs> you know we we. Uh, you know, out there on the farm, you know, we didn't have cell phones. If something broke down, you better figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, that that was just just part of it. And then, you know, got to mess around, you know, with old pickup trucks and trying to hot rod them, and didn't didn't know didn't know anything about it, and messed up some stuff, but, but uh, learned along the way. And uh, uh, that's kind of what got me going. Uh, they had the the pickup. The tractor pulls around here, mm-hmm. and they were pulling pickup trucks, and uh, we got to doing that, and uh, that that was my first deal in motorsports. And uh, I mean, there was a, these these small towns around here. Gosh, there was a lot of people had them truck, you know, pulling pulling trucks. It was fun, and uh, then uh, then started drag racing, and uh, my my first drag car. Uh, it, it was a factory race car. I mean, this is back in the seventies, and no one was think even thinking about collecting them. And I thought, man, you know, this this thing's a piece of history. It's already set up for racing. Why not just use that? I mean, it, you know, it's a, it need to preserve this stuff. I mean, it'd be like if he was walking up on somebody burning trash and he's using Mickey Mantle's bat to stir the trash fire with. I said, Whoa, this needs to be saved. Yeah, and. Anyway, I'd I'd bought I'd taken that Thunderbolt Fairlane, you know, fairly rare race car on its own, uh, to the track, and then I'd have it's, people would see this thing at the track is hey I know where there's another one of these and and you know people ask me so where do you find these cars I said you don't find them they find you and that's the way it's been the last forty years you know we were very fortunate to get in while the cars the value was just. Nothing. I mean, they, the cars weren't worth anything at that point, and uh, then you know the the they become collectible, mm-hmm. and uh, had you know quite a few of them in various states of disrepair, and were able to sell some and use that to restore uh, and 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 buy others, and 
you know, at that point, we tried to get the biggest name of the most historically significant car of of that whatever you know whatever brand it was, and have it in the collection. Yeah. So so early on, like I said, it was tractables and trucks and yeah, very kind of. Um, you know, we just whatever we had, we'll we'll put some money on it. Oh yeah, we'll hot rod it, it tear yeah. it up, <laughs> yeah. drag it home and fix it, and, and then, try to go again. And then you kind of just get that that awareness to, hey, I'm going to buy this because otherwise it's going to rot somewhere in the backyard. Yeah, you know, well, it, like I said, people would come up to me and say, "Man, you know, this this very famous car, so this thing is is here rotting away, and you get it for nothing." You know, so well, nobody else was collecting them back then. Yeah, and. um it, it it was it was a really interesting time. We, we you know we gathered up a lot of cars, you know through that era. Yeah, where were you storing them at that time? Yeah, oh yeah, we we'd sell, you know we'd we'd sell some of the lesser named cars and use that money to 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 try to restore mm-hmm. other ones and did most of it ourselves. Yeah, and uh, all of it just right a lot back way back then most of it just right here yeah so at that time then you say we who else who else was involved oh gosh i had man i've had friends run with me still are you know we've been life you know friends for 40 plus years and they i'd I'd met some of them you know when back when he was tractor pulling or truck pulling and uh and through the drag racing and um you know it morphed into land speed racing and but the, the the whole drag racing thing and a lot of people don't know this that Wally Parks the founder of NHRA these that's what these trophies are mm-hmm. named after they call them Wallys Wally grew up just down the road here in Gultry Oklahoma and uh, I, you know a lot of people don't know that you know that the that the founder of NHRA drag racing is originally an Okie yeah you know and uh, and Wally's the one that pointed it out to me we were we were on tour with NHRA taking uh, cars around to, to different national events, and I couldn't figure it out. Man, they were really taking good care of me. And then while it, it was raining one day, we were in the trailer, and Wally said, started asking me questions about, is that drag strip still in Ringwood, Oklahoma? And I said, oh, wait a minute. Ringwood's a little bitty town, too. I said, how in the heck would Wally you know, know about Ringwood, Oklahoma. He said, well, man, I grew up in Gultry. You know, I went to school with your, or grew up with your granddad, for God's sake. You, to, you know, and I said, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and Wally, Wally's one that brought it to my attention. And, and um, you know, we'd, we'd just been been good friends and done a lot of stuff with the NHRA mm-hmm. right up to when he died. Yeah. What, what was he like? What was he like Wally to was, you as well? He's old school, just really down to earth kind of guy it didn't didn't seem like much rattled him um just try to be as respectful as he could he he was more interested in growing the sport real early on when they started it they were trying to get guys off the street mm. you know the street racing and stuff and he went out to you know the west coast and they were running out in the dry lakes and uh and he he said there needs to be set of rules set up and you know a sanctioning body if you will and so he admitted it yeah, you know, and that—that's how that deal all got started. Yeah, and you just kind of by by a happenstance, by chance, get to get an education basically in drag racing. Under uh, the yeah, well, yeah, we're in the school, but I went to school then. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Well, yeah, but under you know you you basically do an un, an unofficial internship under Wally. Yeah, right? yeah, just learning from him, being with him, you know. Well, yeah, you know, Wally, 
he, he'd recognize pretty early on. He said, man, this, these, these crazy dang Okies are finding these old cars and preserving them and wanting to bring them to these big national events and, yeah. and display them. And, and it, it was just a win-win. And, you know, we were able to locate a lot more cars and get a lot of publicity. And Wally was able to, the uh, NHRA was able to, you know, capitalize on it since they started up a whole other cottage industry, if you will, the nostalgia drag racing, okay. the California Hot Rod Reunion, the National Hot Rod Reunion, Bowling Green. And uh, that thing just, just got huge. And it basically started from that. Yeah. And you you got a front row seat to all well, this. Well, we we were there and yeah, we were there for there for the ride. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and and doing this, then you're you're racing as well, right? You're, yes, you're, yeah, you're we were running. Uh, and- well, we started out, you know, running in it super stock and you know sportsman racing, and then, but it, it had gotten bigger than that for us. You know, we had these big name cars, so the track promoters would come to me and say, "Why don't you set up a mass race?" You know. Take two of your, you know, get get you you get some of the guys with the other brands, and uh, we'll promote this thing, you know. And then we started, you know, just they were paying us to bring cars to the track and run. It was win, lose, or draw. It was a cool deal, yeah. and uh, that that really had, had had grown into quite a deal as well. And we done that for a lot of years. But but there was a problem with that, as as these cars got more and more valuable, it was just becoming increasingly more stupid, if you will, to race them. Because some of these cars have one are one of a one, yeah. you know, and you you're not going to be able to go anywhere to get parts for them. You you know you wreck it, you mess it up, you're you're just destroying history. So, and that and. They weren't very safe, you know. They the safety standards back then yeah. were very, very, very lax as compared to what they have today. Mm-hmm. That's why so many of them died back then. And you know, a lot of these guys, man, you know, it, it was it was tough for them. You know, trying they were they were running these cars on nitromethane, and there was no safety equipment whatsoever compared to what they have today. Mm-hmm. And there were guys dying and. You know, it, it was it was it was an interesting time. You know, as you know, and it, it evolved into to what it is today. Pretty yeah. safe sport. Yeah, yeah, very safe, right? Yes. You know, there's, oh, there's, yeah. You see those roll cages and everything. I mean, yeah, yeah, they got it going on. Yeah, they know what they're doing. But you're right. Back in that, I mean, yeah, it was pretty but, scary to see that. I'm sure you're around a lot of you know. Yeah, we've seen accidents happen, right? And we've had just, yeah, we've seen some guys get killed, you know, and yeah. you know even in, even in later days, you know, it's just one of them deals. But um, you know, it's just evolved so much, you know, through the NHR. and we're, we do we do stuff with NASCAR as well. Uh, we furnished um, we furnished the cars for the 50th anniversary of Daytona, Talladega, Michigan Speedway. We're getting ready to load up now. We got to be in Charlotte Motor Speedway here in a couple of weeks for a deal. Um, they've, they're they're celebrating the 75th anniversary of NASCAR, and um, you know we we work with NASCAR and different speedways. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll take we'll take these old vintage racers. You know people. Don't get a chance to see them, you know, to see how much the the, the sport has evolved mm-hmm. and where it came from. But there was another huge side effect that I'd never expected with these cars. Um, we'd get one done uh, and take it to the track, and the original driver would, would come see the car for the first time. You know, we're talking about. You know the the legends, Dino Don Nicholson or Gas Ronda or, or, gosh, 
you know, we've done a lot of Fred Lorenzen with the NASCAR side of it or or David Pearson, you know, NASCAR champions, Hall of Famers would become our friends. Yeah. You know, said, and I said, I, their their attitude was that, that that I went and spent all that money to restore this their old car and take it all over the country and um, and really make them live on forever through the cars. Uh-huh. You know, and, and at the time we first started doing this, these guys were still young enough and could could come out to the track and hang out with the cars, bench race, and and really enjoy themselves. And I very 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 blessed to have. Uh, my heroes become my friends. You know, the only the only Daytona 500 Bobby Allison's ever missed. He was here in Ames with us. I, mean, I just, watching the races. Yeah, you? he was here with us. You know, we yeah. had a party and he was here, and so you know, and and Bud Moore and Pearson and and all the drag race guys. You know, it was just um, it, it's really been an honor to to be able to call them friends, right. and they truly are. And I'm sure, like that first time that that driver comes out and sees the car that they, you know, they have so many emotions for, so many, so many memories with, and they see the appreciation that you have and that you've put into that it, car. That it's overwhelming. It's an instant connection as well. But you're there to, you know, it's like I've, reuniting someone with the dog that they haven't seen for six I've, months. I've seen right? them just. I've seen them guys. Uh, some of them, some of them go into tears. And man, yeah. I thought this car was dead and gone. You know, and. and here it is. You know, we got there. We'll have a bunch of media there, and they'll interview them and do. You know, when they see the car for the first time, and and uh, and you know, and it, it was really cool. I wasn't really expecting, you know, the the mutual respect aspect of this deal. Um, you know, I respect them, of course, because they were champions, and but but they they reciprocated by. Um, that hey, this guy's spent all this money to fix my car up. I, I respect that, you know. Yeah. And and they're all old school. And just really, it it wasn't a corporate thing like it is today. You know, I'm, I'm not putting anything down today. But those guys, they didn't have. I mean, their sponsor was say Ford Motor Company or Chrysler or, or GM. You know, you you, you see names on the side of a car like Jungle Jim, you know, or. Daddy Warbucks or any of these, they all had they all had names like that as opposed to being corporate. And it, it was a it was a different time and place, but it was wonderful. Yeah, and it's what a time to be around, right? Like it's oh, you know, gosh, it's so- yeah. There was you know, they were they were talking about that. You know, the uh these match race guys, they were getting, you know, fifteen hundred dollars a night to race. And Ford and Chrysler were giving them the cars, giving them the parts, you know. And you know, it was it was race on Sunday, sell on Monday deal. You know, they loved it. You know, Gas Ronda was telling us he was a Gas Ronda was a a, a car. He was a salesman at Russ Davis Ford there in uh, in La, in Los Angeles area, West Covina. And he'd go to the he'd go to the Winter Nationals and win a race in a, in his funny car. And he'd come back to the dealership that Monday morning. He said there'd be fifteen or twenty orders for new Mustangs. Amazing. That were people they wanted gas Ronda's signature that he sold them to that Mustang. He said that was the easiest gig I ever had. <laughs> you, you know, this this think stories like that. Yeah. You know, and and it's just you know it, 
we're just very, very, very fortunate to be able to spend that time with them. Yeah, because you're, you're getting to know the real driver, right? You're oh, yeah, back, we know having, the guy. You're having beers, you're cooking steaks. Yeah. Like you're, you're just ha- we're just, yeah, yeah, bench racing and getting all those old guys together. And, you know, the older you get, the faster you were. Nobody ever lost a race. Well, somebody's going to call BS on it, you know. And that's happened a lot, and I've really enjoyed it over the years. Yeah. You and, know. and during that time, then, you, you just, you're enjoying it, right? You're fostering these relationships. Oh, yeah. And you're probably yeah, thinking you know, to yourself, how am I, I? How am I here today? Right? How am yeah, I in this position? Yeah, and yeah. it's you know we we'd done that. You know we'd you know we're still we're still we're still hauling cars and doing stuff for the NHRA, and uh, uh, we're still doing stuff with with NASCAR. It all, it all slowed up quite a lot during the the COVID deal, but you know it's it's coming back now, and uh, it, it's, it's been it's been good. You know, and we just about run out of cars old cars to find to restore so that's when we kind of said well let's start making some of our own history and ford was reintroducing uh, a new body style mustang and uh, i went back you know we got to looking back you know once you know once again history likes to repeat itself but in, in 1968 um Ford Motor Company were introducing was getting ready to introduce the Mach One Mustangs. So they had Mickey Thompson take three of them out the Bonneville Salt Flats, and they set over two hundred ninety five land speed records. This was in sixty eight. Well, we got back with Ford Motor Company and said, "Hey, you're introducing this Mustang. Um, how about we put a second generation, put Danny Thompson, Mickey's son, in?" One of these new Mustangs, and uh, let, let's take this deal even a step further. Let's let's run, let's run it on. Uh, I'm a farmer. Let's use corn ethanol. And Ford's they started taking a little more interest in it, and and the uh, next thing you know, we got uh, Monsanto Corporation, you know, with the decal brand on the corn and and uh, Roundup and all all their stuff. We 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 got to working with them. You know, said, wait a minute, this is pretty cool. We got a farmer that uses our stuff and, you know, going out and setting these high speed land speed records. And he's got, we got Ford Motor Company behind it. Now we got Monsanto behind it. And we got those two different groups of engineers working together. Uh, I was reading an ad in the Farm Journal about, uh, they were talking about using soy body panels on combines. Well, hell, nobody knows what a combine is. You know, and so this is, and there's a Ford bioplastic engineers were building these combine parts. So I, I get my racing guy, I said, hey, who are these people? Can you get me in touch with them? I called Debbie Maliski and, the, and the, the, guy, the gals with Ford bioplastics. And we started, said, hey, let's build a Mustang. And we got Mons- the Monsanto engineers together with the Ford engineers, and we built with the, the the body panels, the Mustangs, the second batch of Mustangs we took to Bonneville all had soybean, um, the fenders, the hood, front fascia was all soy, you know. And we worked with Ford Bioplastics and Monsanto for that. And then we got with BASF and developed a soy based paint. The paint was soy. The car run on RB85 corn, and you know, and it was a fairly easy sell with. The Ford, with their history, um, the reason Ford Motor Company is lo- located in Dearborn, Michigan, is because of the, the 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 soil around there. Henry was a soybean guy. Henry Ford was, and he brought George Washington Carver in and a bunch of those guys to help develop this stuff. And then during World War II, during the uh, 
the, the metal and steel shortage, they'd actually built a car out of soy, soybeans. You know, and I, I know, you know, Edsel Ford's a friend of mine, and we knew Mark Fields, the president of Ford Motor Company, they knew our history and passion for it, and they were able to work it into their marketing deal. You know, so we, you know, the, the, three, fast, the three fastest Mustangs in the world are corn-powered. They come there right here in Oklahoma with soybean body panels and paint. Yeah. And, you know, and it, then, you know, then we took it on to the next level uh, with the uh, diesel truck. Um, we got Asgro brand soybeans to sponsor that, along with the National Biodiesel Board, mm-hmm. the National Soybean Board, all those guys. They were, they were great to work with. And then we had another crazy side effect. Um we took this thing to a local car, uh, farm show, and you show up at a farm show with a crew cab truck that'll run 180 mile an hour, you're going to bring people in. <laughs> I mean, we were sitting there, we were in the Monsanto display, and uh, the next thing you know, we're going all over the country yeah. with this thing, you know, and, and it just, it turned into a heck of a deal. I'd, I'd finally figured out a way to get my racing to pay for my farming. <laughs> but but it, it was win-win. You know, we were using all that stuff. Yeah. You know, we used the corn, you know, from our fields, the soybeans from our, you know, to, to do the biodiesel and, and the body panels. And right now we're actually working looking at doing some stuff with we got wind turbines on the farm now okay yeah okay we use corn from the farm soybeans from farm wind turbines mm-hmm. talking about doing something um you know on, on that level yeah and i'm right now just negotiated a deal we're gonna put put 120 acres of solar panels in okay you know and, and working with them guys as well so but we're kind of sticking to our theme is everything, you know, with our land speed stuff, everything can come off the farm. Mm-hmm. But we'd taken, gosh, that that one Mustang, the first one we'd set, we, was, we set the record at Bonneville, and um, then we decided that Ford wanted to go to Talladega. That'd be the two fastest places right. in the United States, the United States, arguably. So who in the world are we going to put in there? So, Bill Elliott, you know, he's the man, 212 mile an hour, fastest guy in NASCAR. And uh, it took took a little bit of doings, and we got that, and Bill drove force at, uh, at Talladega. You know, but nobody had ever taken the same car from Bonneville Salt Flats to Talladega Super Speedway. You know, not that it was smart, but we did it. Yeah. But it, but it was cool. And, you know, being able, you know, Bill Elliott was a hero and a Hall of Famer, legend, you know, and and then we got to meet Chase, his son, and and then now Chase is a NASCAR champ himself. You know, and uh, it just one thing worked into another. But um, you know, it, but we we were kind of a liaison, if you will, between we had all these engineers, these gals up there at Ford Bioplastics come up with this really off the wall stuff. You know, they're God, they're unbelievably smart, but. I, they would they would send me this stuff. Said, "What can we do with this?" They sent me this mushroom foam looking stuff. So, can you use this? Yeah, yeah. We use it to insulate our intercooler tanks. Okay, it's part of the Mustang now, you know. And and what about this? We got this hemp stuff we're messing with. And I said, "Well, don't smoke it, but we'll make our well, we use for tow rope, you know, stuff like that. You know, just they would." They would make this stuff, and then they'd send it to us, and we'd try to figure out some way to incorporate it in, into some use. And and after that, uh, 
every Mustang built uh, after 2010 uh, is all soybean foam. All the insulation, all the foam in the, in the Mustangs from there on is soybean. Yeah. You know, and and then they're just kind of you know cool stuff. We're we're still messing with that stuff. Those baseball batting helmets mm-hmm. back there, they're soy composite. You know, we got we're working through some uh, patenting stuff and yeah. trying to get that deal worked out. That's you know, you take you know, there's so many people are you know interested in green that some crazy oaky soybean farmer come up with the idea to make batting helmets out of it. <laughs> I, I know that's what happens when you spend too much time on the tractor. <laughs> Coming up with all sorts of ideas. Yeah, driving, yeah. You know, so most of the ideas the we can't talk about, but those are there's some good ones. But yeah. but no, we we've been you know so fortunate to have these. You know, working with some of these major, major companies. Yeah. You know, and they really like the idea that, that that some farmer out in the middle of nowhere is using his stuff to do it. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, we're we're so far out of the box from like the 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 chemists and engineers at right. Monsanto or Ford or whomever we're working with that we can I can tie it all together. And it, it's just it's it's crazy, but it worked. Yeah, like looking, just listening to you, looking back. So it's, you know, you, you just have a passion for, for racing that develops. You end up buying a race car. You're taking it out to events. People, you know, people, it snowballs. People see the car. You know, where'd you get that? And then, like you said, it, it kind of just by being in the scene and being around and being friends with people and meeting the right people and taking advantage of being around the right people, you end up, you know, with your farming background working out a deal yeah. with Ford, right? It's like a, it's a huge circle, well, it's, but it's just a product of your environment as well. Yeah, and, and as far as these, the sponsors and manufacturers that we're yeah. dealing with, we're not your stereotypical race team. Right. You know, I'm on, I'm, you know, these guys at Ford, they knew I was going to do it. Yeah. One way or another, you know, we're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we, you know, you guys in or you not, you know, man, we're in, you know, they loved it, but it wasn't putting pressure on them as you you write, you know, you write us a big check, and we'll go try this. Yeah. So no, we'll go do it. Let's just, you know, the, Monsanto wants to do it, and uh, tell Ford Monsanto wants to do it. Tell Monsanto Ford wants, and then, then it all worked. You right. know, yeah. it, it was, it, it was a win-win for everyone. And uh, um, you know, we're we're still getting a lot of you know publicity and calls to bring these different vehicles to to different events. Yeah, and it's you know. Just hearing that story, that's then obviously sets the basis for the for relationship that you have with Ford up until I mean. Oh how, yeah, I yeah, they're hear. you know, they 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 were you know send us cars and parts and mm. whatever you know whatever we needed, you know they 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 supported us and it, it was a it, it was a good deal and we weren't you know we weren't beating them up you know it, it was a lot easier for them to get us product. And and then then it was to ask for money. Yeah. And nobody had ever approached um, Monsanto about that. You know, say, how about trading a couple of pallets around up and some seed for, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll put your name on it. Well, yeah, man. It, you know, and and then the magazine, the farm magazine guys just jumped all over it. You know, so yeah. they just they loved that story, and uh, it, it's it's really worked out well. I mean, it's pretty special, right? Yeah, it's what different. It's you know, it's we took a we took a way off path, you know, to uh, to do this and get there, but but we got her done. Yeah. Well, and you're still farming at the whole time. Oh yeah, right? and the I'm farm is still working. And, you know, working we're not farm. we're not done. You know, we're oh gosh, there's there's so much there's so much room on these uh, uh, 
electric motors. Mm-hmm. You know, we were working with, God, the, some of these engineers, uh, thermonuclear guys, it was just crazy. Uh, nuclear physicists, they're working with us on some, uh, oh, oh gosh, all right, we aerodynamic stuff or thermal thermal dynamics on intercooling and stuff. We had to develop, we had to develop our own intercooler and stuff for these for what we were doing at Bonneville. And I got to working with this. He's a nuclear physicist out of Pennsylvania. And he got, we got talking about these electric motors and he was these rare earth magnets. And I mean, I don't, hell, I'm a diesel mechanic, you know, but he, we got talking about that. And he's, you know, how he had, he, he had some really pissed off magnets and you put these in these motors and, and, uh, it, it was crazy. And, uh, one of my, very good friends with with Ford. They they put him in. This has been a few years ago. C Max. It was a uh, uh-huh. hybrid car. Yeah. And he he called me up. He was with us in a Mustang thing, and he said, "Brent, you're going to have to come up something something high profile to do with this C Max car, you know." And uh, I said, "Oh." Shit. <laughs> and we we did some drinking and thinking. And I said, "Tell you what, I'm going to do. You know, we'll, we'll use our corny '85." to set a land speed record and then back it up with wind-generated electricity. And we're going to do it at uh, the runway at Cape Kennedy. You can rent it. And, this, and he loved it. But that brand, that, that deal all went away before we got it all implemented. But that's that's how I was talking to Dr. Sankar and some of those guys, um, you know, the engineers about the electric motor stuff. But they're... You know, there's a long way to go on that stuff. We'd built a drag car, Cobra Ford did, a Cobra Jet electric Mustang, and um, that that thing was just bad fast. Uh, you know, it it run right with the supercharged gas or, or NHRA record setters. Not crazy. You know, it, it's just the the technology. It, it's just amazing what you know what can be what can be done, but. Uh, you know, having all that bounced off of you, and you know, coming from the background where that I have is, it, it's uh, it was a stretch. Yeah. Do you? I mean, there's, there must be times where you know, you like I said, you're getting paid to you know, and and send the cars out, and you're flying out to all these racetracks or these events, you know, in the UK or over here or maybe elsewhere. You might just catch yourself thinking, I, I, I'm from. Hennessy, Oklahoma, right? I'm a young boy. I grew up young boy on a farm in Hennessy, Oklahoma. You got to be from somewhere. <laughs> how, how has this happened? Yeah, it, it's a crazy winding path, if you will, but uh, uh, it, it's, I don't know, it just seemed like it all worked out. Yeah. Just every time we turn around, you know, there'd be something else, another deal come up. and But it, it was, once again, it was so refreshing for the, the people at these big corporations that have somebody like me come in and talk to them rather than some guy in a suit and tie and just, but you know, a professional, you know, I, I just tell them to tell it like it is, you know, here's what we're going to try and I'm not going to promise you nothing. Yeah. And, you know, just straight talk. And, and it was so far out it worked. <laughs> <laughs> where, where does that, where does that kind of entrepreneurial just, ideas come from because in the conversation we've been having so far it's very apparent that you you can come up with ideas and you're very good at getting the right people in the room together and and pitching ideas that clearly worked out who who does that come from 
growing up? Does that come from family? Like, where, where does that come from? Oh, it's, you know, it's, you know, um, gosh, I, I, you know, being around my depression era, grandparents, and yeah. you know, that 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 instilled a little bit in you, and and. Uh, and my dad, you know, in the, he had very he was very successful, you know, in cattle farming and that kind of thing, and uh, you know picked up a little bit here and a little bit there, and and <clears throat> being in the oil field business, oil field business around here, it's over the years it's you know these booms and bust cycles. You've got to be tough, you know, to be able to survive, and. I don't know. You mix all that up, and I guess it worked out. <laughs> is it? Is it because just it's not? You know, it's like oh, let's just figure it out. And but also like, it doesn't hurt to ask. Right. Right. Well, not yeah. scared of being told no because you know we never thought it would figure. We never thought it would happen in the first place. So let's just ask anyway. Yeah, I said, well, this this, this crazy damn guy's going to do this anyway. We just he's got all these other people yeah. that they want to go along. We should do it too. You know, and never ask for you know, big money, you know, get, start out with a product deal and then figure out a way for your product deal to make your money. You know, like getting, getting all our chemical and seed, for instance, you know, or whatever, uh, you know, the biodiesel guys, they were giving me, you know, biodiesel and we were using it in my trucks, mm-hmm. tank truck company, you know, and I mean, it, it was, uh, it was a way to, it was just a different way of approaching it. Don't you know? Just don't go in there and ask for a bunch of money. More of a, more of a trade of services and this. Yeah, is you know, and it. it makes it yeah. a lot easier on them. Mm-hmm. You know, do a product deal, and um, it you know it may be a deal just as just as small as fasteners, you know, or right. you know, a cl- needing a clutch disc or something like that. So they, you know, you guys can advertise this, and I just need some product. Yeah. I just need what's going to work for me, and uh, you know, it's just. You know, it, but being able to work, you know, with these MIT graduates and just so far above my education level, but we were able to communicate. Yeah. You know, I was just so far out of it that it worked. Yeah. You know, the they're, it's hard for them to look at it from an everyday use standpoint. And it's hard for me to understand how they do this stuff, but we, we were able to, to, to communicate, yeah, you know they were they were messing around with stuff uh, using E one hundred corn ethanol, injecting it into a diesel engine, and they were making you know six eight hundred horsepower with and still pass California emissions by injecting the E one hundred. You know that that was a you know it's not a practical thing because it takes so much of it, but it's but it's plausible. You know, and we were out there setting the land speed records with that biodiesel truck. You know, we were setting land speed records, and we were getting six miles to the gallon doing it, and no smoke. That was really big. Bosch was one of our sponsors, and it's very, very important to Bosch, Honeywell, Garrett, and uh, Ford for that diesel truck not to smoke. You smoke, you, you, you're wasting, you're, you're wasting fuel, and uh, that was. You know, one of the big things, you know, we were running at Salt Flats, them guys, the announcers, and you're, this is a diesel truck, you're going to see a big plume of smoke. It's not on fire, but there was no smoke, yeah. and that that was kind of cool. Yeah. When people probably meet you for the first time, they probably don't think that 
you have a wind farm basically on the farm. You have so, and you, and you, you have a solar deal coming. Yeah. You know, you you work on bio. There's a lot of this green energy going on. Yeah, my my carbon footprint. That is Sasquatch. Okay, right. <laughs> you know, I'm really. Uh, being a gearhead, I'm really not the guy. Which is the opposite but, of what they but, would but, think. But, but, but I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, it's it, it, that's it's a way to a means. Okay, you you you're going to have to go that way uh, to get to get these cor- the big corporate sponsors because they're you know there's a lot of guys out there that's going fast, but you got to you got to come up with a crazy niche, you know, and that be being a farmer using your own stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, using the corn from the farm, using soybeans from the farm, and they were doing stuff. Uh, they were making some stuff out of wheat straw, using it for reinforcement, and in in mat and the fiberglass and stuff we were using. And it's just, it was really, really cool being able to work with those people. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't doubt that at all, because you know, you're you're around, you know, like I said, NASA scientists, physicists, yeah, all these yeah, people. Just, you know, you never you know, think that you get to work with. Sitting people. there talking with a nuclear physicist and aerodynamicist, and we got the well, the wind tunnel. That's five thousand dollars an hour. So you don't screw around in there. Yeah, you know, and we were. That's very important. You know, for for our land speed stuff and and in Talladega as well. But uh, we had. We had aerodynamicists from Germany and all over with Ford Motor Company, and, and it was a win for Ford as well because we tried some different stuff outside of the box, you know, from their engineers, and uh, you know they they learned a lot from our data. Um, we had that we had that F two fifty Super Duty in the wind tunnel, and I'll never forget. I called a project manager and I said, "Hey, we got a big problem with the Super Duty. So what do you mean? The moonroof blows out at one hundred and eighty miles an hour." He said, "Brent, what? <laughs> you know, it just was messing with him." But yeah. just little stuff like on that truck, for instance, uh, at one hundred and eighty mile an hour, just the side mirrors are seventy five horsepower. You know, just a little antenna. That was just the antenna sticking up, or you know, there, there's five or six horsepower, or uh, uh, windshield wipers. You know, just silly stuff. Just but that it all adds the up. Drag, yeah. You know, and it, it was. They were taking you know the stuff that we were learning and trying to incorporate it into the into the newer models. Yeah, and that so, was cool. So all the stuff that we have in this in this you know this old school, um, they're not all Fords. But we'll touch on the Fords first. You know, some of the ones with the cars you're developing in the truck, like, were they, did you buy the truck? And how, how do you get those? Did the Ford just not say, the Ford, you know, say, no, no. Well, I, like, that was another interesting. That happen, right? Okay. What Ford, what we'd learned in the Mustang, when we started the Mustang deal with them several years ago, they had what they called engineering cars. Okay. Okay. Like that truck out there, for instance, uh, it's VIN numbers. Anything on a new series, the first two hundred and fifty units get crushed. They'll they'll go they'll they'll send them off. They'll do different things with them, but they do not want them on public highways. Okay, and that was one of them trucks, you know. And what we call it a dollar truck, uh, you give you buy it for a dollar from Ford Motor Company, and they're released from all liability. But we were doing that with Mustangs. They were giving us pre-production Mustangs or engineering cars, and we'd use them for this kind of stuff. I mean, we'd, we'd figured that out through the racing, the racing the cars, and went to truck division and said, hey, you guys got, you just come out with this new series of truck, and you, uh, you're you going to crush it. You just give, you know, it won't cost you nothing. You know, and then it, it was so cool because, of, especially the diesel engineers, um, 
uh, Greg Ives and, and Dave, all them guys, or Dave Ives, rather. Anyway, um, we had, uh, they had been in this box, okay, on this this new power stroke engine, you know, torque and uh, mileage. And they wanted to build a hot rod so bad. And we, we got we got permission uh, from upper management with uh, with Ford Super Duty brand to build a hot rod. And we, they, we took this truck. The Ford engineers, they did every bit of the tuning. And, you know, so you know, the brand, you're going to have to get the aftermarket stuff, you know, the injectors, turbocharger, all that. I said, I got sponsors on that. Anything in-house, no problem. And they wanted to build it. And I, it, it was just when Greg called and Coleman and those guys, man, they were excited. You know, they didn't get to build a hot rod. And there they had this truck, you know, and they had over liver noise on the chassis dyno. And they never would tell me for sure what it, how much horsepower that thing was making. And we had an engineer on site with us at Bonneville. And I said, well, we got, you know, BS and we spent a lot of time together. And I said, well, how much horsepower? Does this thing have? And he said, Brent, I have orders to tell you. We will give you what you need. <laughs> That's a great thing to yeah, hear. Yeah, it, it was. And, yeah. You know, the thing was so docile. It, it run it run, it run 200 miles an hour. Yeah. But I run 182 on that record. But um, we, were, we were in Louisville, Kentucky, and it was like nine degrees that morning. And we had, were at the farm show and I had to start that thing up. I mean, here it is, a land speed racing truck. But we started it up and it was nine degrees outside. Drove it right in the deal, you know. And I said, "That's that says a lot for their tune-up." Right. Yeah. And I, you know, what what they had done, and it was. We, we've had a lot of fun and met a lot of really good people, mm-hmm. you know, along the way. These farm show deal, it was just. I, I'd never even thought about that. I mean, our first one, you know, we went to farm show there in Enid. And our, our local Monsanto guy was with us, and hey, we got a little booth here, just put it in there. And, and then he told his boss and showed him what was going on. I said, "Wait a minute, you know, and we're we're you know we're we're the commodity classic. Uh, uh, God, we had that that truck was on display for at the Texas State Fair. And there's probably nothing bigger than that thing. Yeah. And uh, SEMA show, uh, God, just all all the all the big farm shows." You know, and, and that was something we weren't, weren't really uh, expecting. Yeah, yeah, you don't, do you? You just no. get that invite, and you're like, oh, this is yes, a big deal. Well, These guys have done something really cool here. Oh, yeah. Come to the biggest show that we have. <laughs> well, you know, then the soybean checkoff, it's a lot like the beef checkoff. It's exactly like the beef checkoff. Yeah. You know, a certain amount of soybean money, it goes to promoting and uh, the products. And uh, this was a perfect way to showcase it. Yeah. Do we need to? We good? Okay. Um so the car that's behind us is, you know, probably the most famous one in the room, right? Would you say? Well, it. How do, how does that come about? Oh my gosh! I first seen that car in two thousand and three. Ford was having their hundredth anniversary, okay, and they picked their top most significant, top one hundred most significant race cars of all time, and we had nine of them. And we were we were in Dearborn, had a little bit a bunch of our old cars up there, and they were kind of taking us around, you know, showing and showing us different stuff in these old warehouses. And that thing had been sitting back there, you know, in this this old warehouse. Oh my God! And I, you know, 
through uh, all our other stuff that we just talked about with Ford, we had a very good relationship with them. And I'd been furnishing cars for Ford Motor Company for different functions that they have. You know, where they need one of these old race cars, we'll have it there for them. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of the deal, you know, worked with them on this. This car will be here. You know, if you need it, give me 20, give me 48 hours. I don't have it anywhere in the continental U.S. You know, if you need it. Yeah. And, you know, and that was, that wasn't lost, you know, on Ethel Ford being a friend or, you know, we got a lot of, a lot of very good, made a lot of good friends over the years. Um, by, I, one of them said, Brent, you're, you're, you're kind of different. You don't, you say what you're going to do. You know, we get all these guys that come in here and glad hand us and get some money and gone, you know, but, but you know, it, it, your, your approach just <laughs> so different that, that it worked. Yeah. So did you, is that a dollar car? Yeah. Well, it was, he has a dollar. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. 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 About all these, all the Ford, just about all the Ford race cars, you know, going back into the, from day one, yeah. um, when Ford Motor Company would, would give a racer a car, they'd pay, they'd buy it for a dollar. Mm. And, you know, we got contracts on on about all of them, you know, where they'd, they'd sell it for a dollar, yeah. you know, just, just to um, get them off the liability. Mm-hmm. And, and the other manufacturers do that as well. We, I wish we had a, you know, well, our relationship with Ford is just too, you know, that's just too good. Yeah. And my... I got my family in Kingfisher. Uh, they have a Ford dealership. Had for going on three, three, de- four generations now. Okay. Beckman Ford during Kingfisher, and uh, we do some stuff with them every now and then. And it's um, uh, we kind of, that's why we kind of stuck with Fords. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, and obviously that you know that. Well, I know all these had all these friends there. <laughs> yeah, all the connections is, is, is you can't just very well jump ship at that point. Right. So the other side of the collection that you have then is a lot of old race cars, NASCAR and stuff too. What you know, you mentioned kind of there was a, you know you you're you're buying stuff and you're you're fixing them up, you're building them. What is there? You know, what one of the race cars that you have was the hardest to get? Like, was there a real hunt to get one? Yeah, people, you know, you, you get a reputation for owning and collecting them, and the people know that. And yeah. and we we were able to, to buy cars from people that wouldn't normally sell them to just anyone because, uh, I guess in a word, I'm, I'm not smart enough to sell anything. Well, it sounds <laughs> like they knew that you would also take great care of it, Yes, too. yes, they knew what we'd do with it. Yeah. And we weren't. In it, you can't be in this deal to make money. Right. You, you know, if you if you if you approach the collector card thing as purely a way to make money, you're gonna get burnt. Yeah. You know, and you you can't you you gotta let your heart do the thinking on a lot of it. Yeah. You say, man, I want that car. I remember that when I was a kid, and it's finally come up. I do some trade and get it or whatever. You know, and it was. Um, and it's a way to get in, you know, to to meet your heroes. I just picked a car up a couple of weeks ago that Mario Andretti drove, and I've never met Mario. I want to meet him. Yeah. And I want to get him together with that car, and that car, you know, that car will open that door, you know, and get to meet, you know, and then I'm I'm sure we'll end up being friends. And, you know, just, just that sort of thing. Just like, 
you know, when we were racing over at Goodwood, uh, I was racing with Junior Johnson. Spent got to spend a lot of time with Junior, and we got to know each other. And uh, you know what that guy had done for the sport of NASCAR is just unbelievable. There's there's some behind the scenes stuff that a lot of folks don't know about, and what he had done for that sport. Mm-hmm. You know, bringing R.J.R. Winston into this thing, and and the things you know, all them old guys, what they yeah. had done, and. We got cars in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Um, they'd have a, a a party the night before the Hall of Fame induction ceremony where just the Hall of Famers, the inductees, and the car owners got together. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there was nobody there but us car owners, just maybe four of us, and all the Hall of Famers. Awesome. And, you know, and it was a very open deal where they they were picking on each other and having a good time they're all buddies you know and, and then you know being able to to interact and be friends yeah. with, with that group you know you're sitting there with Pierce David Pearson or Ned Jarrett or, or the Petties or you know Waltrip and all of them it, it, you know just being able to BS them like hey you sorry guy you know we, we you know it, it came to that you know we 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 gotten that close with some of these guys yeah and that was priceless. Yeah, you're in the club at that point, right? The God is down. They they trust you. Well, they, they know they, who yeah, you they, are. Yeah, we're part. They yeah, they. Yeah, I said, okay, that's that goofy guy from Oklahoma with all the cars. <laughs> yeah, we, okay, he's all right. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, sort of like that. Yeah. What's it like going? You know, like you mentioned, you're taking some cars out. You know, soon. Are they firing up? Are they going around the track? Like, what's that? Like? We we do sometimes. Um, um, at Daytona, for instance, when we did their fiftieth, uh, it was kind of cool. We they had cars of different decades. Okay, there were there was focus on 50s, 60s, 70s. Well, they had different groups, performers. Like Chubby Checker was there, and he did the he did the 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 sixties, and Cool and the Gang did the seventies. And I had I had driving Dale Jarrett's ninety six model car, and Brooks and Dunn was. I had to correlate my lap times to them singing a song. You know, we you know we were out there actually going around the track. We spent two different nights yeah. out there. Those guys were doing the same. You know, we were trying to correlate our lap times t- to coordinate this whole thing. That was way cool. Right. You know, we're on the track. I'm. Not, you know, we're on the track with Daytona 500 in a Daytona 500 winning car. <laughs> then we're out there on Sunday morning back when they had a quarter million people there. Yeah. You know, you look up and there's a quarter million people in the crowd. That's you know, and you're. It's it's good. Yeah, that's the pinch me. One of the yeah, you know, moments, right? Bill Elliott's car, and it was kind of funny. Mike Joy, you know, he's a very, very much a historian, historian, and one of the track, and you know, one huge, one of the biggest names there is, and in, in announcing, and uh, we were joking. He said, "Well, who's got the fastest car at Daytona this year?" And he, and he pointed to me, and said, "You do. You got the Coors Melling car <laughs> from '87. You know, before they had restrictor plates." I mean, it was just, it was a joke, but it was kind of, it was kind of cool for him to bring up something like yeah. that. So I mean, it's it's awesome, and I love that you're still at it, right? You still have, you're still picking up yeah, cars, from yeah, yeah, not still still chasing cars and still. I know it. it's you know it's you know it's it's overwhelming trying to keep them all going. You know they could just it's amazing how they can just sit in the museum and break down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's incredible, and I think one of the last questions I want to ask is of you know. All the success you've had, all the people that you've met, all these trophies on the wall. Why Ames, Oklahoma? Why Why are you still here? Well, we could get a lot done here. Um, 
you know, and uh, we, you know, if we were in a, in a huge metropolitan area, this we'd be, we'd have security issues, of course, sure. and have people all the time and couldn't get anything done, and and it's really nice. I mean, just like you know, when we were getting those cars ready to go to Daytona, for instance, we took them right out here on the road, you know, and. And our local law guys, we all get along good. We need to know what we're up to, and we're not going to not trying to pull anything over. We just need to shake them down, make sure they're not going to get out there and overheat or have oil leaks or do something stupid. And uh, that that's a good thing about being out here. And um, we're in the middle of nowhere, but we're halfway to anywhere. Yeah. You know, and it's I, and and the the cost of. Um, uh, what it takes to get things done is is much cheaper here. You know, a facility like this, and you know, any any metropolitan area, you know, would be astronomical. Out here, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, was, they didn't. The schools closed. They gave it to the town. The town really didn't want the building and couldn't do anything with it. And but it worked out well for us. Yeah. You know, and this. That, that would explain why we're out here in the middle of nowhere, I suppose. The best reason I got. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also great that, that you are here because it brings people here. Well, if you— You know, I never would have come to this town no, if it wasn't no, no. for this. You, you, you look know? at it, uh, you know, per capita, I think Ames is just a hair under 200 people on 80-some race cars. <laughs> Los Angeles is going to have to come up with several million race cars to keep up with Ames. <laughs> so it, it could be a Guinness Book thing, I suppose, if anybody looked into it. Yeah. Yeah. At, uh, more race cars per capita in this town. You know, and then we're talking big name guys, you right. know, Earnhardt, Elliott, you know, yeah. Bob Glidden, Connie Collette, all those guys, you know, it's, it's not just no name cars. And yeah. that's what, when Bobby Allison come out here for that, that NASCAR, that Daytona parties, he said, Brent, I was expecting a chicken house behind a double white with an old dirt track car in it. And I said, well, we're a little better than that, but not much. <laughs> a little bit better. But we, yeah. we, it's been good. Yeah. What, uh, so you mentioned, obviously, you know, you got some trips coming up. You might be going back to Goodwood. Is there anything that, like, that really stand out that you either haven't been to yet that you want to or that you are, you know, just, hey, this is coming we're up? And- bucket list stuff. Um, yeah, I'd like, like to go back to Goodwood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, gosh, we've, we've, you know, as far as drag racing goes, man, we've been there, done that. You know, we, you know, we're number one qualifier at the biggest drag race there is in the U.S. Nationals and won the Winter Nationals and uh, a lot of class wins and uh, that that part of it's good. Um, and, you know, setting land speed records at Bonneville with some of the most biggest, the biggest names in the sport driving for you and then going to Talladega and doing that. Um, yeah, there's, oh, there, there's more out there. <laughs> we just haven't thought it up. Yeah. Yet. Have you, have you done kind of Monterey car week? I know that's like a, a, something totally different, but they do race at Monterey, at uh, Laguna Seca, right? They take the Yeah. Time. Oh yeah. Well, I've raced. In fact, Parnelli Jones drove, mm-hmm. uh, uh, my '63 Merc there. Okay, he won the Pike. He was on the that car was on the outside pole at Daytona and won Pike's Peak. Oh, wow! And Parnelli, you know, well, there's the trophy he won it with. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, he drove for me at Monterey and 
he brought that car back, and I'll tell you what, he was that last. He come around that last turn, you could see all four sides of the car. The clutch was smoking, the brakes were smoking, and he was grinning from ear to ear. I mean, I would. It was a lot of work getting the car back in shape, but I'll tell you what, it was yeah. watching that guy. You know, and Bud Moore told us I mean, a lot of stories. You know, being friends with him. You know, gosh, you know, being on. Utah Beach D-Day and you know yeah. God I think he had three purple hearts and a bronze star and you know and he invented NASCAR yeah. you know and he gave Dale Earnhardt his first Speedway win and you know it just but being friends with legends like that being able to talk candidly with him you know just call and ask him why is something this way and he knew yeah, you know somebody had to die you know the wind and nets that was Joe Weatherly he got, he got killed and yeah. you know and Billy Wade he's one that he got when he got killed at Daytona. Uh, that's where the shoulder harnesses. Bud mm-hmm. remembered the B seventeen pulled a harness out of B seventeen, first one to put it in a race car. Jeez. You know, and just stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. It really is, and the, the history that you know, the history and the people that you've been around, Very and fortunate. the stories that you have, and you know, it, it's a lifetime of stories. And and I, you know, I I'm honored to sit here and do my little part of it to share some of them well, it's just, I want to you know, thank you for that that's what we were talking to you know the, the we were talking about the street racers you know when they were out here and you know and I was relaying the story what I knew about the the Brooklyn street racers would come to the track with cash and buy Socks and Martins Barracuda you know the baddest car in the country take it back take it back to the projects and race it you know, they buy cars from Dino Don or whomever and get that's the best. Wild, and I was, that's where this Tasket car came from. And, you know, they were the original, they were the original street outlaws. Yeah. And it, it was, you know, I said, you guys come out here and we'll take you to school on this old stuff and pulled out some of the old magazines about those guys back in the day. And they really got into it. Yeah. it. It was, it was, they'll be back. It's crazy how much it's changed, right? You know, you're seeing oh, yeah. 2,000 horsepower plus cars on oh, the street now. Geez. Just like, yeah, it, it just blows ludicrous. my mind. Yeah. You know what we thought was fast, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, these, these street cars, you know, street cars like run them down and it's, it just blows my mind how much horsepower we're getting and yeah. we haven't seen anything yet with this electric stuff. I, um, you know, it, it's, there's a the, the torque curve on them things is just plumb flat. Just yeah. it's there. It's yeah. crazy. But yeah, I, I mean, thanks so much for an hour. Of hey, your time. I appreciate uh, you, man. Can't wait to take a little look around before I head out. But um, yeah, thank you so much for. It's, for, it's been for a pleasure. This. Love visiting about it. Yeah. Sometimes I get rambling, but no, I appreciate that. You got great stories. We're gonna put those. Those, for instance, those are just those chairs and stuff. Yeah. That is just correspondence. That's part of the cover jet, and that's part of the di- diesel truck, mm-hmm. and that's just we got it. We we're trying to catalog all this stuff, situated. break it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's incredible. But um, for people listening, uh, I'll put the links to to the website and everything in the description. And uh, as we do every every episode with this podcast, just a reminder: we set a goal to raise ten thousand dollars for the Children's Heart Foundation. That link is in the description. Go ne- go there, donate. Whatever it is that you want, we're at three thousand one hundred and fifty dollars, I think, right now. So, by the end of the year, we're going to raise ten thousand dollars. Um, so, the links in the description. And again, thank you so much for having me. And Thanks for being here, man. We will catch you next episode. All Cheers. right.
Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.